Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Widow Florence Paul died in November 1979. She was a mother to two daughters, Anne and Isabella. She owned a beautiful home in Scholar Green near Congleton in Cheshire. Fields and canals surrounded the quiet village. The name Boarded Barn didn't really suit the large Tudor house, which more closely resembled a manor than a barn. It sat surrounded on three sides by acres of land. The only neighbours lived on a farm nearby, with a road passing the front of the property. Anne had to make an inventory of everything in her mother's home, and she had help with this mammoth task. Her close friend Christine offered to lend her a hand. The plan was for the women to arrive at Anne's mother separately on November the 5th. Christine was driving the roughly 20 miles from Mefford, Staffordshire with her two black Labradors Jodie and Kit in the back of her Fiat estate. Anne would be making her 25-mile journey alone from Willowbridge in her sports car. The pair planned to sort through the remaining items in the home and file some paperwork before leaving the house so the women could toast Christine's 39th birthday. Later that evening, they were going to join their families to celebrate bonfire night. Everything was going to plan. The dogs were running loose, while Anne and Christine got to the difficult task of sorting through Anne's mother's belongings. Sometime in the afternoon, their two cars were joined by a third on the gravel driveway. 
a white Ford Cortina pulled up with three men inside. They left the vehicle carrying two sawn-off shotguns and a replica pistol. The trio had driven about 60 miles from Huddersfield, West Yorkshire in the hired car. Philip Jennings, Paul Hebel and Stephen Anderson were on a mission. All three were loaded up on alcohol and amphetamines wearing cheap disguises that Stephen Anderson had hurriedly purchased from a fancy dress shop. The false beard and moustaches looked unrealistic, but that didn't matter anyway. They hadn't been seen forcing their way into the house. They weren't quiet. They made their presence known by shouting obscenities while checking each room. Finally, they found the alarmed women who were sorting through paperwork upstairs. They hadn't planned what to do from this point. Christine and Anne were not who they expected to see. Twenty-six-year-old Philip Jennings was a weightlifter and had worked as a bouncer on the doors of a nightclub. The intended target was the son of Alec Humphreys, director of Stoke City Football Club and millionaire businessman. Philip Jennings had read in an old newspaper that Alec Humphreys had come into a £4 million fortune after selling some of his businesses. He intended to buy his son Keith a house called the Boarded Barn. The plan was to kidnap Keith and or some of the other Humphreys family members at the home and then extract a ransom of £50,000 from his father Alec Humphreys. After they got the money, they intended to flee to South America to buy a farm where they would hide out until the heat died down. Philip Jennings suggested the plan to his weightlifting buddy, 23-year-old Stephen Anderson and under-23's weightlifting champion, nicknamed Puss, because of his reputation with women. Stephen Anderson had spent time in prison and liked to refer to serial killer Donald Nielsen, who was from the same part of the West Ridings as he was, as a local hero. Philip Jennings' second accomplice was 32-year-old Paul Hebel, a known football hooligan with a black belt in karate. His friends called him Spider-Man because of his long, thin legs, but around town he was also known as the Man in Black due to his dark dress sense. The three men were unemployed and spent much of their days lifting weights at a gym. This is where Philip and Paul, who had known each other for years, met Stephen. They struck up a friendship and soon started to discuss their kidnap plot. They had all agreed to the ill-fated plan, but now found themselves in the wrong house confronting two people and had no idea who they were. Instead of abandoning their plan, they decided to stay. Stephen convinced his accomplices that their hostages should remove their clothes so they wouldn't try to escape. But panic set in when Paul Hebel called Stephen Anderson by his first name. All three men hadn't disguised their thick Yorkshire accents. They thought it would only be a matter of time before the police discovered it was them. With that, they decided they had to kill Christine Blood and Anne Carrier. The men were suddenly worried about the Ford Cortina being spotted, so Philip Jennings went outside to move the car from the driveway into a garage at the side of the house. When he returned to the home, both Christine and Anne were taken to separate rooms. They were pushed face down on single beds. Their hands were tied firmly behind their backs and gags were placed in their mouths. Philip Jennings raped Anne Carrier. Then she was taken to a first floor bedroom and Christine was taken to a room on the second floor. A pillow was placed over Christine's head 
and she was shot. Then the culprits coldly repeated their actions and also shot Anne Carrier. Nothing was taken from inside the house and the men hurriedly left via the French doors. They were in such a rush to get back to Huddersfield that when they reversed the car out of the garage, they chipped the door frame, transferring some of the white paint from the vehicle. At the same time, they knocked out the rear light on the car, leaving perspex shards scattered on the garage floor. For reasons only known to the murderers, they took Christine's estate car, but left Anne's car in the driveway. Stephen Anderson and Paul Hebel were in the estate, but abandoned the car just under 10 miles later in the car park of a pub and eatery called the Burnie Inn in Newcastle under Lyme. They then joined Philip Jennings in the rental Cortina, but they had to make a stop at a garage to get the rear light replaced. A couple spotted Stephen and Paul leaving the car, but the description of the pair was quite generic. The driver was said to be aged 25 to 30 years old, average build and clean appearance, and the passenger was about 30 years old with dark hair and complexion, and also a clean appearance. The three men rushed home to tune in to the evening news and find out if their crimes had been reported. But nothing. The horrific scene hadn't been discovered until about an hour after they disposed of the car. The families of Christine Blood and Anne Carrier were now getting concerned. Christine failed to collect her ten-year-old daughter from school. Anne's sister-in-law Wendy King and her husband Roger live nearest to Scholar Green Village so they were called upon by Anne's husband to make a quick visit to the boarded barn to see what was holding the women up. Concern struck. Some things at the property seemed out of place. The garage door was ajar and was slightly damaged. The French doors were wide open, letting in the crisp November air. The Labradors were barking and free to roam about the house. Wendy walked through the property, but halted at the discovery of her sister-in-law's body bound on a bed. It wasn't until a police officer arrived at the scene that Roger King went back into the home and discovered Christine's body. The next morning, reporters gathered on the Bloods' property. Christine's husband of 16 years made an emotional statement. He said, I wish to God I knew who did such a dreadful thing. My wife had no enemies in the world that I know of. She loved to help other people. She gave of herself and was popular and very well known. You never know what is around the corner. It's just unbelievable that such a thing could happen. I'm staying at home for at least two weeks. There may be a time when I can bring myself to talk more about it, but I just can't bring myself to do that now. Everyone has been really understanding, but I just want to be left alone in peace. I've given the police all the information I can. The boss of Anne Carrier's husband explained that he was with David Carrier just minutes after he was told about the death of his wife. He said he took it badly, but also very courageously. Anne and David had the perfect marriage. Anne's sister-in-law Wendy King was too distraught to talk to the waiting press. Her husband Roger went ahead with a short plea for information instead. He said if anyone has some information about these bastards... We want them to please come forward. Detective Superintendent Tom Brooks led the investigation into the murders. The scene was combed for any evidence by 70 to 80 police officers. Playing cards, books and papers were strewn across the living room carpet. 
Many of the items scattered looked to have been chewed or torn apart by a dog. On the stairs was a ripped piece of cotton. On the carpet outside a bedroom on the first floor was a left shoe. Feathers from a red pillow were scattered around the room where Anne Carrier's body was found. On the second floor landing outside of the bathroom, toilet tissue had been ripped to shreds and there were two discarded shoes. One of the shoes had a torn lining and looked to have been chewed by a dog. In the bed where Christine Blood's body was discovered, items were found on top of the quilt that the murderers used to hide her. A glass doorknob originating from a cupboard, a plate and pieces of torn white cloth. The neighbours were questioned about the murders. The shards from the broken car light were gathered from the garage and the damage to the door frame was also noted. Two nearby ponds were also searched for the murder weapon. Police stops were set up on the A34 between Congleton and Stoke in the hope that someone who passed the distinctive house would have noticed something on the day Anne and Christine were killed. Superintendent Brooks was quoted as saying, It was a brutal and macabre murder and we don't know the motive. We cannot rule out a sexual motive because they were found naked, but it is not immediately apparent that it was a sexual attack. The superintendent also went on to provide clues to help identify the gunman. He said, Ballistic experts believe the man who shot them may have bruised his middle finger and that the webbed skin between his thumb and index finger may also be injured. From the outset, the motive for murdering two upper-middle-class women in an execution-style killing wasn't clear. A theory presented in some newspapers was the slaying was carried out by frustrated antique thieves that had planned to strip the home of valuables after hearing about the death of Anne Carrier's mother. The suggestion was they arrived at what they thought would be an empty home, but were surprised by the presence of Anne and Christine and the absence of antiques, silverware and jewellery so they killed the two women before fleeing the scene. Mr Thorley, who owned a farm roughly 200 yards from the back of the boarded barn, explained that he heard someone whistling to call the dogs in at about 5pm when he was working in the field bordering the two properties. The neighbour said, It was the kind of whistle I had heard several times before from Mrs Carrier. It was two short whistles. I am fairly sure it was her. Just after 7pm, Mr Thorley's brother Herbert was outside feeding the cows. He heard the dogs barking in the garden. He reportedly said there was no light on in the house. I thought it was odd, but I felt they must have left a dog behind to guard the house. Anne Carrier and Christine Blood, both 39, had no known enemies. They'd been close friends since school and they were both married. Anne Carrier's husband David was a director of a profitable pottery company, Staffordshire Potteries in Mere. The couple had two sons, Richard and Jeremy, aged 12 and 14. Christine Blood lived with her husband Peter, who was a senior partner at an estate agent's, Lewis Taylor's. They lived with their three children, Rachel, Edward and Camilla, in a farmhouse on 23 acres of land. She owned two thoroughbred horses and looking after the animals was a passion for both women. They liked to ride in the North Staffordshire hunt. Even though fox hunting is hugely controversial today, it wasn't in 1979 and so this wasn't considered a viable lead by police. The rape of Anne Carrier wouldn't be revealed until days later when the autopsy had been carried out. 
Detective Superintendent Tom Brooks told a newspaper, there are no obvious injuries to the body, which is why we could not initially say there had been sexual intercourse. The inference is that the rape took place under threat, probably at gunpoint. There was no evidence to suggest Mrs. Blood was, though further tests are being carried out. We still cannot definitely rule it out. As well as the couple who saw two of the perpetrators abandoning the car, another witness came forward. A truck driver claimed to have seen a man outside the boarded barn at about 4.15pm on the day of the murders. The description he gave was a suntanned man, about 5 foot 9, slim with dark hair that was longish at the back, perhaps 25 years of age, with smart dark clothing. An e-fit was composed. The end result was a picture of a man that looked similar to a young Elvis Presley. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Center comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. 
What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. In Huddersfield, a routine investigation into the theft of lead from Bradley Wood Hospital unearthed an unexpected lead. The building was due to be demolished, but the thieves had entered the grounds to strip it of any valuable metal. The lead weighed about two tonnes in 1979 and was worth £1,000, which is roughly £4,000 in today's money. Two police officers started their investigation by trying to discover where the metal had been sold to. The most logical place was local scrapyards, and if they didn't find anything locally, they would cast a wider net. Luckily, a local scrap dealer recalled buying a large lot of scrap metal. The sellers provided false names but the foreman took the precaution of taking down their car registration in his logbook. The license plate was traced directly back to David Anderson. With this new lead in the theft, authorities obtained a warrant to search David Anderson's home. Under a mattress, a box of cartridges, along with a sawn-off shotgun, were discovered. The officers thought it had recently been fired, and they suspected the weapon had been used in an armed robbery or something similar. David Anderson was taken to the police station, but denied the gun was his, laying the blame at his brother's door. He said, I'm just looking after it for my brother Steve. David Anderson claimed he got into a heated row with Stephen over a woman, so he took the gun and put it under his mattress. An alert was issued to police in the area to bring Stephen Anderson into custody. Less than a day later, Stephen was apprehended while he was trying to board a bus. At the same time he was being questioned, police carried out a search of his flat on Moorend Road in Huddersfield. Stephen Anderson had collected every news clipping he could find about the boarded barn murders and kept them safe in a drawer. He used a Hitachi stereo to record news coverage off the radio. In addition to his news collection, police came across a bag of gun cartridges, the same brand found at the murder scene. Detective Superintendent Brooks was informed and straight away he left with some deputies to head to Huddersfield to question Stephen Anderson. Stephen had been quiet up to this point, not talking about the lead robbery or what the shotgun was used for. When Detective Brooks slid the clippings of the boarded barn murders across the table, he broke down. Through a stream of tears, he laid the blame for planning the burglary at the feet of Philip Jennings, and he claimed his other friend Paul Hebel was the first to fire at the women after Philip Jennings instructed them to do it. In a statement to police, Stephen said, It's all like a bad dream. It's like a nightmare. I couldn't sleep thinking about it. He said Philip Jennings had been planning the job for at least two years. He'd gone to the library to read books on it and even slept in the outhouse overnight to observe the occupants. Philip wanted Stephen to take a member of the Humphreys family to the bank to withdraw money while he and Paul kept an eye on the hostages. Stephen said he went along with the job to get a nice house for himself and his girlfriend. Police arrived at the home of Philip Jennings and when there was no reply they broke down the front door. He wasn't at home but was later found asleep at his girlfriend's in Batley, a town nearby. 
Paul Hebel was arrested in Albanbury, a village just outside of Huddersfield. He was dragged out of bed at his parents' home in the early hours, dressed in only his underwear. The next day, the River Calder at Elland was searched for a second gun. The riverbed was trawled and finally frogmen dredged up the trio's clothing along with a shotgun and replica pistol. The evidence was mounting. Philip Jennings had signed the rental agreement on the Cortina they hired from Black Hole's Motor Company in Southgate, Huddersfield. On inspection, a rear light had been replaced. Police used the serial number on the light to trace it back to the garage they stopped at. The paint left on the damaged garage door frame corresponded perfectly to the height of the scratches on the back of the car, and the paint was also a match. There was no denying it. Just as Stephen Anderson confessed, so did Philip Jennings and Paul Hebel. Philip Jennings told detectives, On the way there, I was praying no one would be at the house. If there was, I knew it would end in murder. We'd been talking so much about using shooters and blowing people away, we could not back down and lose face with each other. They had to die because we had done so much talking in front of them. At one point in the interview... Philip Jennings voiced his self-pity and disdain for the rich. He said, They're all the same, these so-called society people. They have money and everything and can do no wrong. It is always the little people like me that are in the wrong. He confessed to the rape of Anne Carrier and said he shot both women in the head, only after Stephen Anderson shot Christine Blood and Paul Hebel shot Anne Carrier. He stated she was almost gone, gasping horribly put one in her head to finish her off. It was just like shooting a piece of meat. The three accused men appeared at Sandbatch Court in Cheshire to face charges on November 12th. They were escorted inside, covered by blankets. An angry crowd of 150 people gathered outside, booing and shouting, hang them, and workmen on a nearby roof joined in jeering with the crowd below. Stephen Anderson wept and collapsed twice during the short court appearance. No application for bail was put forward and all three men were remanded in Risley Remand Centre. The trial was held at Cheshire Crown Court at the end of July 1980. All three men pleaded guilty to the double murder and aggravated burglary. Mr Justice Phillips addressed the three men in the dock. He said these were cruel and brutal murders committed without pity reason or sense. I'm going to make sure you all stay in prison until you are very old men indeed. On July 18th, Stephen Anderson, Philip Jennings and Paul Hebel were sentenced to a minimum recommended sentence of 30 years for the murders of Christine Blood and Anne Carrier. So where are we now? Within a day of his sentence on July 19th, Stephen Anderson told other inmates that he was going back to his cell. He barricaded the doors with sheets and towels and set fire to the mattress in his hospital cell at Risley Remand Centre. The ventilator and any air holes were blocked with screwed up paper. Stephen Anderson penned a suicide note to his girlfriend saying he couldn't face 30 years in jail. He inhaled toxic fumes and died before staff knew what was happening. When prison wardens barged their way in, they were forced back by the poisonous fumes. The fire brigade were called to extinguish the blaze. An urgent inquest was ordered to find out how the suicide was possible 
and why was a prisoner permitted items that could cause a fire in his cell? The death of Stephen Anderson caused a conflict of opinion at his inquest. A police surgeon, Dr. Roberts, stated that the polyurethane mattresses widely used in prisons should be banned to prevent similar suicide attempts. Risley senior medical officer Dr. Lawson didn't believe it was necessary to replace them as he thought it was costly and impractical to do on such a large scale. Furthermore, he said, prisoners would always find a way of committing suicide. A sergeant who had entered the cell after the suicide recalled seeing a number of safety matches, but he didn't see the one used to ignite the fire. Dr. Roberts told the coroner that he came to the conclusion that Stephen Anderson would have died from the toxins in the fumes within two and a half minutes. He said polyurethane is a very common material in all households. It's the standard material of all prison and most hospital mattresses. If people are allowed to smoke in their prison cells, these things are going to keep on happening. If somebody wishes to commit suicide, he will do so as long as he has one match. It isn't formed to say, but if you want people to survive in prison, they must not be allowed matches or the means of ignition in their cell. The doctor went on to explain that several London police stations had reissued horsehair mattresses as they do not ignite. The inquest also heard from Dr. Lawson, who revealed why Stephen Anderson was in a hospital cell. He believed if any of the three men convicted were going to take their own life, it would have been Stephen Anderson. The doctor said, the question of whether or not Anderson was to be allowed cigarettes was my decision. To prevent suicide, one had to use means which merely dehumanised prisoners and is not something I wish to do as a doctor and which society would not tolerate. It is virtually impossible in my experience, which is considerable, to prevent anybody from killing themselves unless you literally or metaphorically nail their hands to the wall. I feel that Stephen Anderson was not prepared to do his sentence and if he had not taken his life at Risley, he would have taken it somewhere else. The jury returned the verdict that Stephen Anderson had taken his own life. Anne Carrier and Christine Blood had a joint funeral on November 30th, 1979. The 40-minute funeral was attended by 500 mourners. Two wreaths decorated their coffins and their families requested the guests donate to the Anne and Christine Memorial Fund instead of bringing flowers. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To support They Walk Among Us and receive ad-free episodes and other extras, just head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us. You can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram and Facebook under They Walk Among Us podcast. Hey, Lily. Oh, hey, Krista. Did you know, according to an unproven internet meme, you will cross paths with a murderer 36 times in your lifetime? I did know that, and you want to know why? I can guess. Because we're 36 times, a Canadian true crime and comedy podcast, which covers crimes in the Great White North. 
Every episode, we focus on a major crime and then we lighten things up with a kooky one. We cover everything from major cases and unsolved mysteries to peculiar getaway choices and animals behaving oddly. So catch our bi-weekly episodes on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.